good evening, everybody. And it's good to be here this evening. Um, we're going to be continuing in this series on the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms that uh, pilgrims sang as they were going up uh, to worship God uh, in the temple. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 132, which Jeff has entitled Promises, Promises, because actually the first half of the psalm is looking at uh, the promise that David made to God to find a resting place for the ark. And the second half of the psalm is concerned with God's promises uh, to David. And so the theme of the sermon is Promises this evening. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we pray this evening that you'll strengthen and encourage us from your word. Give us good understanding of what it means and show us, Lord, how it applies to our own hearts and lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may like to follow as we go through. I've forgotten the page number it was in the church Bible, but uh, Psalm 132. And... uh, the, the psalm begins with this uh, statement, O Lord, remember David. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But in verses 2 to 5, it's talking about this promise that David made. And uh, it says, He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house, I will or go on my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And if we, the, the background uh, to what's said here is actually in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 and uh, moving into chapter 7. And you remember that in the early days of Israel's history, the, there wasn't a temple, uh, but they, they had the tabernacle, which uh, contained in it, amongst other things, the Ark uh, of the Covenant, and the, as the people in the wilderness moved around, the tabernacle and the ark moved around with them. And when they entered into the promised land, again, it moved around from place to place. There was no permanent place uh, for it. And uh, during the time of Saul, the ark was captured uh, on one occasion uh, by the Philistines. And we remember that uh, while it was with them, a plague came, so they wanted to kind of get rid of it. And uh, the Israelites uh, brought it back and David wanted to find a permanent place for it. The ark uh, symbolised the presence of God among his people. But it also, if you, if you know uh, about the ark, it was just a box in one sense. But it, it was covered in gold and it had key things in it. It had uh, the, the book of the covenant inside God's word to his people and a few things from history, the, uh, the jar of manna uh, with some manna in it, and Aaron's rod that had budded, symbolising God's acceptance of Aaron's uh, priestly ministry. And above all, the covenant had a lid on it, and that is where the, on the Day of Atonement, uh, the Ark of the Covenant had this lid, when on the Day of, the, uh, of Atonement, the blood was sprinkled. And so the the ark symbolised something very, very important to Israel. It helped them remember their history. It symbolised the presence of God. It symbolised the legitimacy of Aaron. It contained his word and above all reminded them of the atonement that was made uh, through sacrifice to enable them to have relationship with God. 
And so David was, was concerned that this, this ark had been captured and uh, it had gone around from place to place. And when he captured Jerusalem, he said, let me then bring this uh, ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. Let there be a permanent dwelling place uh, for God. Now that is uh, the, the background to the story. Maybe you remember as the ark was coming, um, it, it nearly slipped off the cart and uh, Uzzah put out his hand to steady it. And, well, it, it's a sad story in some ways, but he, he was slain dead because he had actually not obeyed God's command uh, to respect uh, the ark. But if you remember, it was very uh, holy and symbolised uh, the holiness of God. So that's verse, I'm going to apply these things in a moment. That's verses uh, 2 to 5. And then in verses 6 to 9, there, there is mention of some people, we're not sure exactly who they are, whether they are uh, people accompanying David or people later going up to Jerusalem, but they are excited about going up to Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. And that's why this psalm was chosen, probably, as one of the songs of ascent. But that excitement comes across. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jah. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints for joy. You feel the excitement of these people as they wanted to be in the presence of God and to worship God and we see some of their, their passion here for uh, worship in holiness. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. The, the priests in the Old Testament had these wonderful, very rich, elaborate garments beautifully embroidered but the, the, the worshippers going up know that that it's just an outward symbol. What's needed is a holiness of the heart. And so they're, they're passionate about worship. They're passionate about holiness in worship. And may your, your saints sing for joy. For, for them, going up, worship is a joyful thing as they express what is in their hearts to God. Well, let's think about what this means to us. And I'm going to go in reverse order uh, I've always been a bit back to front, so apologies uh, for that. But as we think about these worshippers going up to the, the temple, I guess I want to ask us the question, do we, like these worshippers in verses 6 to 9, have a passion, a desire to be in God's presence? They wanted to be where God was, uh, symbolised uh, by uh, the ark in the, in the, uh, in the temple. Many of us, I think, we're very faithful in our worship and uh, in our service of God. Many people do things to God. They attend meetings uh, and yet sometimes we're, we're not always so good about seeking intimacy with God himself. And there's a call here, a reminder here, that God is, has called us into a relationship of intimacy with him and we should seek that and express that in worship, through fellowship, through Bible reading, uh, through prayer. It's very easy to be busy for God and forget intimacy with God. Uh, and I, I speak from my own experience. We are very busy at times. And it's so easy in the rush of things to lose sight of the God who we're serving 
and to seek intimacy with him and to worship him from the heart. So that's something that we, we should think about from verses uh, 6 to 9. But if we just go back a little and think about David, do we, like David, have a concern to build the house of God? And I was thinking about this at two levels. There's uh, uh, physically and, and spiritually. I mean, uh, at the moment, as a church, we're involved in the building project, and we've been in- incredibly impressed at the level of commitment uh, to this building project, and uh, uh, for the fact that it, it is seen not as an end in itself, but as a means of helping the church to express itself as a family, to help fellowship, uh, to help worship, and uh, to help outreach. And uh, we've been impressed by the degree of commitment, financially, time, and the amount of planning and everything that's gone into that. And I'm sure that that God, too, uh, is pleased uh, with that as it is done for his glory. But we need to remember too that the, the church is not the building. We, we, we know this and I'm sure and I hope we are as committed to building God's spiritual church, his people, the living stones, uh, as we are to the physical building. There's a lovely story I heard about uh, somebody who, uh, a Church of England vicar, and he had a very beautiful church. And it was the kind of church that people used to love to come round and look because it had such beautiful things in it. And anyway, he, I, I think he got a little bit tired of this. And uh, one day some people came to the door and they knocked on the door and they said to him, oh, please, can we look round your church? And he said to them, I'm sorry, it's not here today. <laughs> because, of course, the church is not the building, it's the people. Well, I, I, I don't know, he didn't tell us whether he, he then said, actually, yes, here, I'll have the key and look round. But, it, but it's a good story to, to remind us that actually the church is not the building, it is the people uh, of God <clears throat> together worshipping, servicing, uh, uh, living in service and witness to God. And building the church is the role of every Christian. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you are doing. Each of us has a responsibility for building the spiritual building. Now, having said that, we know that leaders have a special responsibility to do that. And that's why God has given us leaders uh, in the church. And we know in, in Ephesians, God says that their role is to prepare God's people for works of service. The King James says, equipping the saints for ministry, uh, so that the body of Christ might be built up. And leaders have a special responsibility to do that, but they have a special responsibility to do what all of us should be doing. I'm sure we all know and understand that, but it's good to be reminded that as we are focusing on the building project, that the, the physical building project is to enable a further spiritual building project in the life of Long Crandon. So, the question was, do we, like David, have a concern for, uh, to build the house of God, not just physically, but also 
spiritually. And if we go back further to the beginning, David made an oath to the Lord. And so I want to ask the question, do we keep our promises to God like David? Now we need to say, we, we don't know what made, da- what prompted David to make this promise. But one thing is very clear when we look at the life of David, that he wasn't doing this to get something from God. He, he, he wanted uh, to uh, build uh, the, the temple, uh, not to get something from God, but as a response to what God had done in his life. There was David, he knew that he was somebody insignificant. He was the youngest child uh, in a, a small minor family in a tiny village in the north of Palestine and yet God had brought him and given him the privilege of serving as king of his people. And so David was doing this out of gratitude, out of a response of love to, to God for all that God had done in his life. And indeed, in our own lives, that should be our motivation for for doing things for God. Uh, Because when we realise how much he's done for us in calling us to himself and forgiving our sins and giving us his spirit, that we do things for God in response to what he's done for us. John says we love him because he first loved us. Now, of course, the most important promise that all of us make is the promise we make on the day uh, of our conversion, when we promise uh, to serve God with our lives, when we submit our lives to him and say, from now on, I, not my way, but your way. And hopefully, for, uh, we, for many of us, we, we've said to God, we will do anything, anytime, uh, anywhere that God wants. And that should be the commitment that we make at the beginning of our Christian lives. But it's very easy for some of us to to drift away from that commitment. Um, I, I don't want to tell too many Nigeria stories, but I, I, I did tell say something in the prayer letter. Some of you know I injured myself uh, because I can be extremely childish at times. I need to grow up. But I was preaching on Romans 12 verse uh, 2, preaching, I was teaching, but uh, anyway, it, uh, uh, preaching and teaching go a little bit together. And in our, in our class, we had a table just a little bit bigger than this, and I wanted to illustrate the point that some people at the beginning of their Christian lives, they submit themselves to God, but then they get distracted by the things of the world, or by, uh, by just other things, or particularly materialism. And they crawl off the altar. Now, some of you know what happened. That I didn't realise that the table I was lying on was not very stable. And as I tried to crawl off it, the table collapsed. And uh, I'm still suffering uh, the injury to this, this day. But it's getting a lot better. But it illustrated a very good point. And I was able to say to the students, Look, if you crawl off the altar of submission, you hurt yourself. And it's, it's, it's true in our spiritual lives. And as we think about our David made a promise to God and we need to think about our promise to serve him when we gave our lives to him, where are we in that? Are we still submitted to Christ? Or have we crawled off the altar of submission? 
I think many of us also, we've, we've made promises to God along the way of our Christian lives when we've rededicated ourselves in one way or another and we've said to God, yes, I'm going to seek a, a deeper intimacy with you. I'm going to spend more time in fellowship. I'm going to serve you in different ways in the church. I'm going to uh, seek to practice spiritual disciplines in my life to develop my relationship with you. And if we've made those promises, I'm just asking, have we, like David, have we kept them? Are our promises to God up to date? It's very easy to lose sight of the things we've said to God. And this David here is a reminder to us that we need to fulfill our promises uh, to God. If we go back to verse 1, O Lord, remember David. And I thought about this a lot while uh, thinking about this evening. I, I, one senses that the uh, author of the psalm, and the, the, this is a prayer, I should have said that earlier on, particularly in verse uh, 10, he says, Lord, uh, for the sake of David your servant, do not reject your anointed one. And it seems that the psalmist, he, he doesn't somehow have the confidence to say, for my sake, uh, don't... don't uh, uh, neglect me he, he's appealing to what somebody some good that somebody else did in this case David uh, as a reason why God should take notice of him and bless him now we of course know that David in the Bible is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and we know more clearly than the psalmist did that we don't appeal to what other people have done but it's because of Christ that uh, God will bless us. For us, we need to say, O oh Lord, remember Jesus. That it's through Jesus, because of Jesus, that uh, we have any right to access to God, any right to blessing in our lives. And we can pray with greater confidence, I think, than the psalmist here, O oh Lord, remember Jesus and remember me. And it's a great encouragement to us. So that's the first part of the psalm, is uh, focusing on uh, David's promise to God. But the second half of the psalm, as we go through it, is focusing on God's promise uh, to us. Well, God's promise in different ways. Verses 11 and 12, sorry, are God's promises uh, to David. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he would not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I keep them, then their sons shall, shall sit on your throne forever and ever. The, we know in the end that David's descendants didn't obey God's commandments. They didn't obey his statutes. But that, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus who is the ultimate descendant of David and that Jesus is on the throne forever. But in verses 13 to 16 there is a promise to Zion, a promise to Jerusalem. But the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall ever sing 
for joy. And so there is a promise to David and there is a promise to Jerusalem. And we know that that is fulfilled in the heavenly Jerusalem of which we are all members. And the New Testament picks up this idea of our experience of salvation and our belonging to the heavenly Jerusalem and coming to the heavenly Jerusalem uh, where we belong. And that is our ultimate destiny of which we can be certain in life. And it's as we come to the Christ, the King, that we experience that salvation and we experience that joy. And verses 17 and 18 uh, Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame but uh, the crown on his head shall be resplendent. Probably a promise here of Jesus the Messiah and uh, his eternal reign. Now as we think about this second half of the psalm there the author, we don't exactly know who he was but possibly one of the royal family may have been one of the kings, we don't know Uh, he gains encouragement from the promises that God has made the promise to David, the promise uh, to Jerusalem the promise of the Messiah and although it would be interesting to, to trace how those promises were fulfilled uh, in Jesus. I want to stand back a little and coming back to Jess' theme of promises, promises, ask, uh, think a little bit about the place that the promises of God have in our lives. And I guess I, I want to ask the question, to what extent are we living our lives based on the promises of God? Um, yeah, well, thank you. <coughs> the, <coughs> some of us, I think, get discouraged because we're not focusing on the promises of God. It's, it's very easy to get weighed down by our busyness, very easy to get weighed down by our problems, it's very easy to get weighed down by our responsibilities, our financial difficulties, our relationship issues, indeed temptations that we, we face and lose sight of our great God and the promises that he's made to us. And I just want to encourage us that we should take time, if we are discouraged in our lives, to think about the promises of God, that we should turn to him, and uh, as he reminds us in Scripture, one of the promises indeed is to cast your cares on him, Uh, your burdens on him because he cares for you. But the answer to discouragement is the God of the Bible who has made these wonderful promises. We're not going to list them tonight, but they're there in his word to encourage us, to strengthen us, to build us up, to help us to keep going. And if we're discouraged, let us focus on God and the promises that he's made to us. Uh, something happened which has never happened to me when I'm preparing a sermon, but I ended up with, you know, letters. I ended up with four Ds. And uh, I, I thought, well, I, I nearly actually removed them because I don't like being clever. But anyway, it just happened. All right? But some of us get disillusioned because we've misunderstood or misinterpreted the promises of God. Now, this is a very delicate and difficult area, but... 
I, I, we'll try and illustrate it with something and then get us to see where we need to think in other areas. But well, one of the promises of God is to do with protection. We, we were talking about this the other Sunday. And we, we know in Psalm 121, the Lord promises us, uh, He will not let your foot slip, that he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you from all harm. But what does that mean? I mean, what, what does it mean for our friends in Nigeria, some of whom their families have been killed in the difficulties? Uh, what does it mean for me? Uh, just 20 years ago, my parents both died in a road accident. Does that mean that God's promise failed? We have to think very carefully about what these promises mean because if we don't understand them right, we will get disillusioned uh, in our Christian life because we'll think that God has let us down. As I, as I understand it, that, as I said uh, the other Sunday evening, that this promise means that God will protect us and that nothing can happen to us outside his will. But in the same way in the life of Jesus, we see several times, the, the Bible says they couldn't take him uh, because his time had not yet come. And yet, when his time did come, God allowed it. And the Bible is very clear. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is very clear that the death of Jesus was not an accident. It didn't happen uh, by human will, but it was appointed by God and happened at God's appointed time. And in a similar way, we can have the confidence from these promises that God will protect us, that nothing will happen to us that is outside of his will. It doesn't mean to say that we will never ever experience something difficult in our lives. Now, you, you can maybe think about that. Uh, maybe there's room for some discussion. But I'm making the point that we need to think very carefully about how we apply some promises of God to our lives because if we misunderstand what God is saying in scripture and we, mi we misapply them it can lead to disillusionment with God and I guess the, uh, we need to think very carefully about the promises of material blessing what does that mean? we need to think very carefully about promises related to healing what do these mean? because if we misunderstand them and we misapply them then people's lives can be shipwrecked by, not, uh, by misunderstanding what God is saying. The studies have been done in the, in the US, I uh, was reading uh, uh, recently, of people who've left church, people who've stopped going to church on a regular basis. And apparently the, the consistent theme and the number one reason why people left church was because they had got disillusioned with God. They had felt and been led to expect God will do this for you and it hadn't happened like that and they couldn't cope. And so we, we need to think carefully uh, uh, about how the promises apply so that we don't lead to disillusionment. Uh, uh, Neil is looking at me worried. I don't know if it's worry because I'm, I'm throwing some work to the pastors and elders um, and to myself. But 
Let's be careful because we can get disillusioned if we misunderstand and misapply the promises of God. I need to go more quickly. But thirdly, people spiritualized can get derailed if they put greater trust in impressions of what they think God is saying than they actually do in the promises of God in his word. <clears throat> I have a very, somebody who's close to me, um, when she got married, desperately wanted children, and she had three miscarriages. And it was very difficult for her, a Christian, solid Christian, for many years. And she had the fourth, the pregnant the fourth time, and she felt that God had promised her that this pregnancy would be okay, that the baby would be born well. And sadly, when she was six months pregnant, she lost the baby. And it derailed her spiritually. And sadly, she's not been in church except once for a wedding since that time. It's very tragic that it, sometimes we put trust in impressions rather than trust in the absolute promises of God's word. Does God give promises in that way? Well, that's another issue for the elders to think about. Uh, and, uh, but all I would say is, if you think that God is giving you a promise in that way, check it out. Test it. Bring it to people and ask them, what do you think? And whatever we think, we need to remember that such things must always remain provisional in our thinking because we may be wrong. And God is still God, even if he doesn't do what we think and thought uh, uh, and wanted him to do in our lives. Well, fourthly, on this, this um, maybe I should just say, if some of us have been in that situation where we... we we have got disillusioned or we have got derailed in our spiritual life for one reason or another. Take time to pray it through with people so that, because uh, God doesn't want us to live with these burdens. He wants us to be free. He wants us to move on and he wants us to have confidence in him. But I think fourthly, just very briefly, some of us become dry because when times are easy, we, we don't live in conscious dependence upon the promises of God and uh, everything we have is by God's grace whether we are conscious of that or not and we need to remember even in the good times that the, the good things that we are enjoying are purely by God's grace and thank him for fulfilling these things in our lives. Now I think I'm, I, I'm preach, I hope I'm preaching to the converted. I hope these are things we are familiar with. But it's good to be reminded um, of them this evening. But I want to move to a close by just uh, more positively just wanting to encourage us to put our absolute trust in the clear promises of God in his word. Again, we know the need to do this but it's good to be reminded. And it'd be interesting if we had time to uh, get people to share what promises have been special to us, what promises in our own lives we've seen fulfilled. 
there's a story told of a man and after he was a godly Christian man and when he died um, people found his Bible and throughout his Bible there were little notes in the margin against the promises of God tried and, and proved or something like that to, uh, tested and true and sometimes there was a date or more than one date because in, in his life he had lived according to God's promises and God had proved himself true. When I was a small boy, my, I became a Christian at a very young age and my mother, uh, she, she gave me three verses and she wrote them out on a little card. Uh, one of them was 1 Corinthians 10.13. I'm sure we notice there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're... Well, I missed between King James and, and NIV, sorry. But beyond what you're uh, able to bear. Uh, and will, with the temptation, make a way of escape so that you, you may be able to bear it. Sorry, I'm muddling my, my versions. But that was a wonderful promise. And it helps me tremendously. Uh, the, other, the, the second verse was 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I've forgotten the third verse. And as an adult, I often wonder what kind of child I was that made my mother think I needed those, those verses. But they are tremendous promises of God which have helped me in my Christian life. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this week, maybe think back, what are the promises of God that you have, uh, that have meant so much to you and let them speak to you again and encourage you in your current situation. And you might even like to take time to, uh, I'm giving myself homework here, so Abby will will. Well, you can ask her next week whether I've agreed. Take time to talk to the people who are close to you. But these are promises, maybe five promises that has meant much to me and you can talk about how God has uh, encouraged and helped you through them and fulfilled those in your life. And that leads me to my last point. Let's encourage one another by reminding each other of the promises of God and the God of the promises. Many years ago, uh, uh, somebody gave me a little bookmark and it just had on it Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that spoke to me very deeply at a difficult time of my life and the, the bookmark is long since lost. But the promise remains in my mind and my heart and brings encouragement to me too. And just this Thursday in the prayer meeting, um, somebody was praying for somebody else and in their prayer they included a promise of God in relation to that uh, situation and need. And that spoke to me and encouraged me deeply. And I want to encourage us uh, that we should be trying to help our friends, our family, to also be focused on the promises of God and gain strength and encouragement from them. So the psalm is about promises. It's about 
the promises that we have made or need to make to God and it's about God's promises to us. Let's fulfil our promises to God and let's be encouraged and encourage one another by the promises that he makes to us. Let's pray.